Teron Lowe. Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. Ball slips her by Phoenix. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. If that's the last image of Michael Jordan, how magnificent the series. It's Lillard. He got the shot off. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi, and I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Review and Preview Network for my weekly NBA and college basketball show. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. In tonight's episode, I'm joined by The Entertainer, a diehard Knicks, Mets, and Giants fan on YouTube that is here to talk some New York Knicks hoops with me. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I like the intro there. Uh, only one Knicks highlight. That's all right. Um, my second favorite Knicks moment of all time, uh, the, the uh, John Stark stunk over Michael Jordan. My first would be Larry Johnson's four-point play against the Indiana Pacers. Um, but that's up there. It's definitely, That is an iconic moment in New York Knicks history. Uh, for sure. I mean, those are all my favorite moments. I didn't want to put too much Knicks stuff. I wanted to sprinkle in a little bit around the league, depending on, you know, what it was. But I, I would have been so happy with a, a nice, nice five Knicks videos right at one after another. The Patrick Ewing tipping, you know, the any any of those would have been fantastic. But um, yeah, but you know, to to start, you know, tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and you know, kind of, kind of how you got going, how you got everything going. Yeah, uh, I've been on YouTube now for about two and a half years, and um, when I first started, just started as a hobby for fun, and I just went on there to make people laugh. And then I took it much more seriously after I realized that people really, I guess, I never thought people would go to YouTube. I did it as a hobby for fun. And I never thought people would really go to YouTube um, to take my opinion seriously about sports. And then I quickly realized that they did and I enjoyed doing it. So I took it much more seriously. And um, now I talk, you know, I talk mainly Giants, but I do it. I'm starting to do a lot more Knicks coverage. I live stream all the games. I do occasional videos. And, uh, yeah, I'm just a diehard New York sports fan that enjoys talking sports. That's fantastic. And, you know, especially with the Knicks basketball, um, with Knicks basketball going so well right now and with uh, the Mets coming up soon, you know, there's going to be a lot of content. So, so first off, you know, there's going to be a nice long Knicks discussion. You know, one of my favorite things. Like, Got to get your thoughts on the Knicks season so far. Like how, how amazing it's been going and, you know, how – what's what's your real impact what what do you think is the real impact this season yeah um well i think the uh you know obviously Thibodeau has to have a lot to do with it i mean it's basically the same roster you know yeah derrick rose there at the trade deadline but you know Toppin hasn't played much quickly is a nice ad but other than that it's a very similar roster to what they had last year um and the you know the main addition there is tom Thibodeau and i i think Thibodeau obviously has a lot to do with it 
there's times where Thibodeau does things that makes me scratch my head. Some of his lineups, I thought last night's game, he should have called a timeout probably at about the eight-minute mark um, yeah. in the fourth quarter um, when they were going on a run. But regardless, Thibodeau's always had the, um, you know, the people have always said that he's the type of guy that gets the most out of his players. He's always had that reputation. Sometimes he pushes his players too hard. He also has that reputation as well. And people worried about the minutes for Randall and Barrett. And you started to see him scale that back um, since they brought in Derrick Rose. But, yeah, I think Thibodeau's done a phenomenal job. Um, I think you've started to see, obviously, dramatic improvement from Julius Randall. Uh, yes. But I think you've started to see some growth from Barrett, even though there's ups and downs. People forget he had that 13-game spurt where he looked fantastic. Um, and last night he played pretty well. I, he was 10 of 20. Missed a couple of big shots there at the end. But um, I think you've, you've started to see Barrett mature a bit as well. Uh, but, yeah, Randall obviously has been the biggest uh, factor into why the Knicks are where they are. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, Thibodeau, I think Thibodeau's impact coming in kind of like just changes the entire team. You know, Randall was frustrating to watch, as you know, last year. And I think the the way that he has them playing is just is unbelievable. He's a tremendous head coach. Just like you said, there are some moments that kind of scratch your head. You know, he's always going to – he wants to win is the key, too. And that's going to be very interesting to see coming down the stretch, like – what kind of minutes are quickly is quickly going to get in crunch time? You know how, how many how many minutes are Toppin going to get in crunch time? Because you know during the close game last night when you know the Timberwolves started rallying back, they mainly had D Rose, uh, Burks, Bullock, no Burks, Barrett, uh, Taj Gibson, and Julius Randle were mainly out there. It wasn't really many of the young guys, but you got to win those kind of games. You know you can't blow a game like that. So I think. It's it's going to be interesting to see. He wants to win, and it's it's he wants to change that mindset with New York Knicks basketball. Yeah, last night I think quickly only got nine minutes. Um, some of that had to do with foul trouble. I think he had three fouls in the first yeah. half. Finished with three fouls, but three of them came in the first half. Only played six minutes. I'm going to be honest, and I'm a huge quickly fan. I think quickly was a steal getting him where we did. Um, I was ecstatic when we got him because I knew that we needed shooting. He shot 92 percent at Kentucky. Um, he's definitely a guy that I think will improve and grow. But the last five or six games, Quickly's floater has not been going in. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, he hasn't been the most efficient scorer as of late. Um, out, you know, he's still a threat from deep. But I understand, you know, it's it's hard to balance when you're Thibodeau because you're trying to win, you're trying to change the culture. But at the same time, you have to have your younger players grow as well. So I think he's going to go with the hot hand. And, and when Quickly's not playing well, his minutes won't be as high. I think that's kind of where he's at right now. I completely agree. And I think that like it's going to be by committee. Whoever's winning, playing winning basketball is going to be out there. And I think that in the back of Thibodeau's mind, he does he's going to send quickly and topping out there every night because he wants them to develop and stuff too. But you when you also have a winning team and you're trying to make a playoff push too, it's it becomes it's difficult to balance the uh playing the veterans and giving giving the young guys, you know, some time. But I definitely I definitely think so. But I think uh one big difference is the defense last couple of games without Mitchell Robinson is, you know, I think noticeably different. I think Nerlens Noel is a tremendous defender though. And I think Taj Gibson's a great he's a great veteran, gritty player. Uh, but it's Mitchell Robinson's defense is is unmatched. You know he's kind of the anchor of that defense. And you know what do you, what do you think is the impact of him going down? Yeah, I I, I mean obviously, like you just said, I think Noel is very underrated. He's one of my favorite players on the team. Um, I thought it was an underrated addition, but he does. You know he's definitely a hustle player. He definitely comes up with big blocks. Um, 
but he's not Mitch. Mitch is very good off the pick and roll defensively. Um, he's a better rim protector. Um, yeah, Mitch is definitely our best defensive player, at least, you know, one of, as in terms of the big men. And without him, in a way, though, I think it worked out, um, as crazy as that may sound, because when it happened, the Knicks were playing the softest part of their schedule. So yeah. they may be able to skate by, get to the break at 500. You know, when you look mm-hmm. at their remaining schedule right now, they're, what are they, 15 and 16? They've got yeah. Golden State. They've got Indiana. They've got San Antonio. But then they got Detroit. And they've got another very winnable game that I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. But, but it's very possible they go 3-2 and two here and be 18-18 and 18 at the break. Then you get, like, a week off for the All-Star game. And then you figure by then, maybe Mitch is healthy enough to start getting back into the lineup. Exactly. That's what, that's what we can hope for. And I really like, you know, it's an interesting situation. Luckily, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, broken hand is is always difficult to tell. You know, you could vary week to week, could be months, but it looks like it's not going to be too bad for him. There's definitely a, a good impact though that he leaves when he's not when he's not not out there. And I completely agree. Got a couple of comments. Uh, James Montefusco, what's up, guys? Knicks are looking good. A young team that has a bright future, that's for sure. James here, part of review and preview. Uh, we got Tom, part of review and preview. What's up, Entertainer? Love the sweater, man. <laughs> What's up, Tom, man? I had a great time coming on his channel as well. He's a big giant fan. Yeah, we got it making the rounds here at uh, Review and Preview. And my brother Nick, Randall has to make it tomorrow. That brings up a good point of discussion. What's the likelihood that Julius Randall makes the all-star team, the reserves tomorrow, in your opinion? You know, I, from everything I'm hearing and reading, and I don't follow the all-star game that closely, you know, it's not that big of a deal to me, but it would be nice to have a New York Nick make the All-Star team. The last one to make it was Porzingis. Yeah. And I saw the trivia question last night. There's only been five uh, in terms of players, not appearances, since uh, the 2000-2001 season. And that was Carmelo Anthony, Tyson Chandler, um, Amari Stoudemire, David Lee, and Kristaps Porzingis. Yeah. Um, so it would be nice for him to make it. I think he, I think he should. I mean, the guy's putting up 23-11 and six. So I'm hoping he does. From what I've read, it's, possibly between him and Sabonis. Um, But with the record that the Knicks have, they're the seventh seed. It's New York. Throw us a bone. I mean, give give Randall a spot on the roster. He deserves it, man. Exactly. And, you know, there's always a possibility somebody doesn't go to it and they need a replacement and stuff if he gets snubbed. So there's always that. But exactly. Like, they're playing winning basketball. If the Knicks were at the bottom of the East right now, like they had been the last few years, wouldn't even be in the conversation, even though his numbers are all-star numbers. Like, there's no there's no world where 23-11-6 doesn't see. Put, doesn't put you in the all-star game. There's no doubt about that. I think Sabonis should make it too, but it, it, I guess the big question is going to be how many Sixers they take because uh, because you got Joel Embiid's going to make it, and then Ben Simmons probably makes it, and if Tobias Harris makes it, then it just clogs up a huge, huge portion of the team. So it may, makes it pretty makes it really interesting. I think that you know it's it, it will be nice and it will be a nice reward too since they've you know finally been winning some games. Um, got another one here. Should the Knicks trade Knox for a shooter like Reddick? That's my dad right there. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm disappointed. Well, I, when, when the, when the season first started, Knox was getting decent minutes and he was actually pretty efficient from behind the three point line. But I think the reason why he's not getting any minutes right now is the guy sucks on defense. I mean, he just does. And Thibodeau's a defensive minded guy. I'm surprised Neil Akeen is not getting any minutes, but now you acquire Derrick Rose. 
So it's kind of hard to get these guys in the game, I suppose. But yeah, I think Knox is going to be traded. Um, th- now the question is, is Knox and Nilakino, who I think both could very well be traded before the deadline, are they going to be traded for future draft capital or are they going to be traded to bring in a player to help this year's team? Um, that's the question that you got to ask yourself. Reddick's not going to cost you much. You may be able to get him for Knox and not much else. Reddick's up there in age. He's not playing that well, but he's exactly what we need uh, off the bench. You know, a guy that could shoot the three ball, that could stretch the floor. At this point, as sad as it sounds, because we spent the ninth pick on Knox, I don't think he's going to be playing here. So I'd rather get something for him that could help the team this year. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Knox really doesn't have much of a future with the Knicks anymore, especially with the way that this franchise is going, the kind of direction they are. He's never developed a defensive game. You know, he's an, he's been an inconsistent shooter. And same with Frank. So, like, I feel like um, especially Thibodeau is going to want to make a push for players now, too, I think. I think he's going to want to add some more assets at the deadline, and he's going to look to try to dump Frank and Knox. I I could see that happening, and Redick is is a perfect kind of guy that we could use off our bench, a shooter who, you know, can come in and just, and just knock down threes, like, primarily. Doesn't need to do anything else, and that's uh, that's exactly that's, – that's probably the biggest team need right now. That's yeah, and that's why I was happy when we drafted quickly. But yeah, I'm I'm completely with you on that. We we definitely could use a shooter, and Reddick may be able to add to that. And you know we'll see. But you know you hear the names like Beal, you hear the names like um, you know Levine. I don't think the Knicks are going to do that. I I don't expect the Knicks to go out there and give away three first round picks and one of our good young assets to bring in a player like that. Because I, quite honestly. I think that's Carmelo Anthony all over again. And, and I think exactly. it would be a big mistake um, to that. You know, to, I think it was 2010 when we did that. Um, we were finally headed down the right path. We had good young talent on this team with Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari, Raymond Felton was actually playing well before he came back and became fat Felton. And the Knicks gave away all their draft picks. They gave away all their young assets to bring in a star. And it only got us to a certain point. Um, exactly. I think the Knicks got to stay the course. I don't mind small moves like that, kind of like with Derrick Rose, but I don't want you selling the farm uh, to bring in a guy like Bradley Beal. I completely agree, and I don't think that a move like that is realistic at all. Yeah. I think that uh, Bradley Beal also wants to stay with the Wizards. I think the Wizards are going to try to shop him because it only makes sense to try to shop him since they're completely rebuilding. Zach Levine doesn't make too much sense to me because that's a guy that the Bulls can really build around. I think that um, I'm not too sure that he's going to be big on the trade market, and, and if he is, they're going to demand a ton, especially if he makes the all-star team too, and it's not going to be worth it. You have to, at this point, you can't trade first-round picks. They're already headed in the right direction if they kind of flip that switch and go back into like the Carmelo mindset where you're gonna where you have to trade for you know all these players and stuff they're gonna wind up right right back at the bottom you know there's there's no real amount there's no real outcome to doing that you know it's like there's no real it puts you where you don't want to be like the fourth or fifth seed in the east that's not where you want to be Exactly. The goal is to be the first team in the East and to uh, to be at, right at the top. And if uh, if you can only rise up to one of the top teams, then it's not even worth it. You might as well stay homegrown and try to develop like the Warriors way, you know, before they signed Kevin Durant, that kind of situation. Absolutely. But, but ironically, today is actually the 10 year anniversary of the Carmelo Anthony trade. I really? Saw, yeah, I saw that, which was which is very interesting. It, it a day that was huge for us Knicks fans, but uh, looking back at it was just 
like we were we were a little too excited for it. Like, what what were your thoughts about Carmelo's era with the Knicks? You know, as a Knicks fan, it had been so long. I mean, I guess Stephon Marbury w- w- was a guy that we thought was a superstar when we first got him too. But as a Knicks fan, it had been so long, you know, to the point where we had a team that was even close to relevancy at that point in time that I was excited, you know, when they made the trade because you saw, okay, we got Amari. Amari at the time was playing great. And yes. you knew that the knees could be given out at any moment, though. You know, I was I was worried when they signed him to begin with, which I think the main reason why they signed him is because they struck out on LeBron and they knew that the fan base would go nuts if they didn't spend a max contract on somebody. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's where it started. I think as, as much as I love Amari, that was the first pivotal mistake was giving him that contract because I think it was inevitable that he was going to break down. And, and he did within a year. But then as a Knicks fan, you say to yourself at that point in time, okay, Amari's playing like one of the top 10 players on the planet. Now we go out, we get Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, we got something cooking here. So when they first made the trade, even though in the back of my head, I'm like, wow, we just gave up a lot. And wow, he was going to be a free agent the next year. Um, I'm so excited to be able to bring him on the team because at that point in time, he was a top five or six player in the league. So it gave you hope that if we added another piece or so, that we would have an opportunity with a healthy Amari Stoudemire to compete and win a championship. No, definitely. I I feel the same way. I was really excited about it because Carmelo was a star and he wanted to play for the Knicks too. That was the big thing. You know, you had so many, we had just come, came off of the heartbreak of LeBron not choosing the Knicks, choosing the Heat instead of them. And, and that way that's, that stung a bit because we all thought that like, you know, he, he held the thing in Greenwich. We, we thought that, you know, there was a, there was a possibility. He loves playing at the garden that we were going to be able to get him and we were going to be this powerhouse and it was going to be, you know, a redemption from the 90s all over again and just never ended up happening. But it was just electric. Like, I always think back to uh, Carmelo getting announced uh, in the starting lineup. I'm coming home. Yeah, I'm good. coming home. That's that's as electric as you'll ever see Madison Square Garden. That's uh, that's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, it's uh, there was there was some high moments and there was some low moments for sure. But it was a solid era. And I think Carmelo gave us his all. And he really wanted to make a contender in New York. It just really did not work out. Yeah, a lot of people hold that against him, you know, for forcing the trade to the Knicks. Uh, they say he was selfish. And to a point, I could I could kind of agree. But by the same token, how could you blame Carmelo Anthony? Um, by doing that, he was maxing his value. He knew he'd make more money if he was able to force a trade rather than not. And he wasn't the guy who pulled the trigger. James Dolan was. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that... Um, you know, I don't think that – I think Dolan was the reason that we went out there and made the trade to get Carmelo Anthony. So I don't put that on – I don't blame him for that at all. I think Carmelo gave it his all while he was here. I think he ended up being a very underappreciated Nick because of, you know, what, what transpired. Because the trade wasn't necessarily the best move. It doesn't necessarily mean that Carmelo wasn't good with the New York Knicks. The guy won a scoring title. The guy gave exactly. it his all. The guy wanted to be here. He played his hardest, and I respect him for that. So, um, you know, the other thing is Dan Tony, man. Dan Tony, and I'm not saying he's not a great coach. He, he definitely was. But he's like the type of coach to me that if he doesn't ha- – he can't – he needs the right piece players on his team to make it work, which is not what great coaches do. You look at, like, a guy like Pat Riley. Riley yeah. went from the Showtime Lakers to the hard-nosed New York Knicks. 
D'Antoni got here. He had a superstar with Carmelo Anthony. He was trying to make Anthony have like the James Horton role with the Rockets. And yeah. that was never Melo's game. Yeah, that's that's so true. Because like Dan, D'Antoni was a specific type of head coach that really just does not work. You know, everywhere he's gone, it just like he's had good teams, but they haven't been able to go over the edge. When he was in Phoenix with the running gun offense and all that, like it, it, it they ended up burning each other out. And then when he came to the Knicks, you know, there was nothing around Carmelo. You know, they he drew up the plays for Carmelo to go ISO all the time. It just didn't work. And then, you know, even when he went to Houston, it was like the Harden ball and everybody just stood around and watched. And that never ended up working. So I completely agree. I think that D'Antoni was, is a good coach, but his philosophy for his offensive game plan just never was, never was a realistic competitive way to play NBA basketball at all. Yeah. Especially come playoff time. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. And so to switch it up a little bit, I was thinking, um, what is your all-time favorite Knicks team? Um, I'm born in 85. So I started getting the Knicks probably when I was like seven years old, around 92. So those great early 90s teams are still my favorite. I mean, even though I was only eight or nine years old, I love those teams. Uh, You know, with Oakley and Mason, Ewing. I still say to this day, it's probably my favorite individual New York team I've ever rooted for. That includes the Giants. That includes the Mets. Those next teams were incredible. Uh, obviously, the 99 team as the eight seed was a really fun season that nobody saw coming. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to those those early 90s Knicks teams, man. Those though, the, 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 they they represented the city. They were blue collar. They didn't have any stars outside of Ewing, but they all, you know, they they, they did their part. They worked hard every game and New York loved them. Yeah, exactly. That was that was the era of Knicks basketball that I truly wish that I got to see. Yeah, I was born in 97, so grew up in the 2000s through all the bad Knicks teams. You know, Marbury was like my idol when I was a kid. Uh, I, think, I was not able to you know, ever see Ewing or any of those guys, but I wish I was. That, that was that was New York basketball at its finest. You know, Charles Oakley, um, John Starks, Anthony Mason, like they were just they were just great players and they were just gritty players. It was an amazing era of basketball in total and got my cousin let's go Knicks. can we get bradley beal without giving up rj that's good question i'm not sure if that's i i feel like that's probably not going to be able to happen i feel like either rj or uh or quickly would have to be the top guys that that would have to be that's what i was going to say i i I think it's possible maybe with quickly but at that point you're giving up like three firsts Mm -hmm. um and maybe even possibly topping with it. So you're giving up a lot. Yeah, for sure. I think that, like, it would be ideal. I mean, that that would be a tremendous piece, and it would look great alongside the team, but you definitely, I, I could definitely see them having to give up something huge um, in order to get it. But, yeah, so those those teams, the best team for me was probably the 12-13 team. The, How could it not be? I mean, if you grew up, if you were born in 97, 54 wins, they won, what, 13 straight at the end of the year? That um, that was an exciting year. That was my sophomore year. Everybody forgets about that team, by the way. They were kind of not as nearly as good, but they were kind of the Warrior style basketball before the Warriors. You yeah. remember that year, the Knicks? They were they were sinking a record number of threes. They were taking more threes than anybody had ever taken. Woodson was kind of ahead of the curve with that team. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, because they had sharpshooters all over the place. You had Novak come in, and his only job was strain threes. You had Carmelo, who did, took a lot of threes. Jr. took a lot of threes. Uh, Jason Kidd. 
Jason Kidd took a lot of threes. You know, they they had they had three point snipers all over the place, and they they just ran up the score on teams, and that's why they dominated the East that entire regular season. They beside outside of the Heat and the Pacers, they were the, they were easily the third best team, and they were fun to watch that entire season. They were dominant. Uh, that was the same year that Brooklyn tried to put together that big three with Paul. Uh, yeah, 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 with the billboard and everything. But I, I'll tell you what, man. I say it all the time. Melo on the scoring table, no doubt about it. He was incredible yeah. that year. J.R. Smith was incredible that year off the bench. Most important player in that team was Jason Kidd. Yeah, I, I, I say it all the time. He put, he brought everything together. It didn't show up on the stat sheet, but when you saw the ball just moved better when he was out on the court. He was an amazing player, and that's exactly what you got out of him. You got professionalism. You got a high basketball IQ. You got great passing. He had that dagger against Brooklyn, too, which was uh, – I still can picture that Jerry Stackhouse trying to block his shot from three, that, uh, that game-winning three. They hit so many game winners that season, too. J.R. Smith's fadeaway threes from the corner. like the, They were just so much fun to watch. And they, it was it's a little upsetting that, you know, they couldn't rebound off of that the following year, too. You know, they ended up missing the playoffs in 13-14. Then 14-15 was a complete uh, it was a, was a complete disaster, exactly. And then they ended up drafting Porzingis. And, you know, it's been downhill since then. But that team was awesome. And that was by far the best one. But it, obviously, you know, if you were in the 70s or if you were in the 90s, like, that's that was the best era for New York basketball. Yeah, uh, the, 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 I tell you, though, the 99 team was damn close, though. I mean, not that they were nearly as good or even likable. It was kind of a fluke because they, they were the eight seed, but it was a strike-shortened season. Um, they were starting to get hot at the end of the year. I think they probably would have finished as a fourth or fifth seed had it been a normal regular season because of the lockout. I think they only played 54 games that year. Yeah. But that, that team was fun, man. You know, they had the Allen Houston's game-winning shot against the Heat. Then I think they swept the Hawks, if I'm not mistaken, in the second round. And then they, they knock off the Pacers, obviously, with the LJ four-point play yeah. before going down to the uh, Duncan, uh, the young Duncan Spurs with David Robinson. Yeah, that was an amazing team, and they were the underdogs. That was, like, the biggest story, the first eight seed to ever make it to the finals. Uh, that was that was awesome. And, you know, you had an older Patrick Ewing would have been great to, to win him that championship that year. That team was resilient. They were hard-nosed. You know, you had a young Latrell Sprewell, too. Uh, they, 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 were just, they were a good team. You had Allen Houston. And, you know, I just – I wish I could have saw some of those 90s teams, watching some of those highlights and stuff. I ended up growing up a pretty big Michael Jordan fan, and I don't think I would have had I, had I been a Knicks fan back in the 90s. But – you know, Jordan, when, when, when I was a kid growing up, I hated Jordan. And then after the fact, I grew to admire him and respect him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I got one question for you. Who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Good answer. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> I, I, I would fight people to the death about that. I like I am LeBron to me is number two all time. I agree. I, I, I've got LeBron two all time. You know, I've 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 even uh laid out my top 50 but you know that that's is that's something for a different day but it's, it's the, but jordan is one and lebron is two without i agree with that i agree with that I, I laugh when people say kobe or, Le, or lebron i don't even think it's close um personally kobe's a great player but i don't even now kobe i think the reason people uh, especially like the younger generation for me on youtube it seems like they love kobe i mean and i'm not you know obviously before the tragedy yeah um, i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that one he played like jordan so yeah, people, exactly. he had a similar style to Jordan. And two, he was kind of the last 
alpha athlete, like the guy that said, I don't want to go over there and pair up with players, even though people forget he was trying to force trades later in his career before they got Gasol. But just watching the two players, I watched Kobe throughout his entire career. I watched LeBron throughout his entire career. I remember growing up and people had discussions. Who's better, Tracy McGrady or Kobe Bryant? They never had those discussions with LeBron James, okay? LeBron James, since he entered the league, maybe two years until now, he's been the best player in the league. Kobe Bryant, you can make an argument, was the best player in the league for maybe three years of his career. I don't even think they're comparable um, as basketball players. I, I would definitely have LeBron as two. I absolutely agree. And people grew up idolizing Kobe, too. That's why I see a lot of people have, you know, a soft spot in their hearts for him. You know, they he was like the player. Exactly. He's top 10. I completely agree. I have him low. I honestly have him lower than Tim Duncan, I think. I think it's I a think, debate. I think you can debate yeah. those two. Yeah. I think that, I think Duncan is ahead of Kobe all the time, but I think LeBron is number two. And what people don't realize, too, I feel like when you debate the LeBron versus Jordan thing is how perfect of a career Jordan really had. And in Jordan order, got to, bored. He got he, he bored. Got, so good. Exactly. He would have, and like being realistic, he probably would have won eight straight if he did not, if he didn't go to play baseball. Realistically. No, he he not, not might have. He would have. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, People always say this. This is the argument I always get from people that say Jordan wouldn't have been as great in this era. Oh well, Jordan only shot thirty-one percent or whatever he shot as a career for uh, behind the three-point line, and obviously it's an era where you shoot more threes. To which yeah. my rebuttal is: Yeah, you don't think Michael Jordan, the hardest worker in the history of sports, would have molded his game to today's era? I bet anything that if Michael Jordan played in this era, he'd shoot 38 percent from three because he would know that he would have to adapt. To this era. There's no doubt about it. Michael Jordan's the greatest player ever. There's no doubt about it. He averaged 30 points for his career in an era where the team scored 80 to 90 points a game, too. You know, not the 121-30 that we see nowadays. If He averaged 40 points a game now. Exactly. It wouldn't even be close. Like, people don't realize just how – like, I know the allegiance, some people die hard LeBron fans and stuff. LeBron's an amazing player. But, you know, even just to lose, like, a bunch of championships and stuff like that, it's like – the people really don't realize how perfect of a career Michael Jordan had and how nearly impossible it is to surpass. Honestly, like you're going, it's going to be, it's going to be very tough for anybody to ever surpass Michael Jordan because, because of how amazing he was every single year and how dominant he was in the entire league in a tremendous era of basketball too. Yeah. No, no disrespect to LeBron, but you put Jordan on that heat team against the Mavericks. He ain't losing. Exactly. He, exactly. He ain't losing to Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Terry, and Josh Howard, and whoever Sean Marion. He, he ain't losing to that team. Exactly. That's exactly it. And like yeah. you know the the whole narrative that he didn't play against anybody. You know, it's like he went up against some of the most hard nosed players in league history, the bad boy Pistons teams. You know, this number number two scoring leader of all time, Carl Malone. Like it's. He it's went up. All right, let's crazy. go over who he went up against. For everybody that says he didn't go up against anybody, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, John Stockton. Uh, you keep going. I mean, he went exactly. up against uh, you know you Jason kids. He, he went up against so many great players. Yeah, the all top twenty players of all time. And if you yeah. you, know, you want to compare that to you know LeBron or something, it's not even a debate. They, it's it really isn't even close. I. Uh, it, it honestly is it's honestly frustrating. And if Jordan wasn't around in the 90s, too, the Knicks would have multiple championships. That's why I hated him. Yep, exactly. That's why <laughs> that's why I feel like I would have hated him, too, if I if I grew up. I grew up idolizing him just because just from watching the highlights, you know, never having to root against him. But it, it, he was just incredible. So, 
on this. So, so talking talking some Knicks history, who are your top three greatest Knicks ever? My top three favorite or who I think the three greatest Knicks ever? We'll go both, to, but top three greatest, who you, one, two, and three. Who do you think? Well, it's obviously Clyde or Ewing. Those are one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I only got to see Ewing. I know Ewing's got the better statistics. Clyde's got the championships. Yeah. Um, I'll put Ewing one, Clyde two, but you, you, you could go either way. Um, yeah. and then after that, man, I mean, you could go with some of those old time Knicks for sure. There's plenty of them on that team, or you could go with, I mean, there's so many guys you could go with. You could go with Bernard King. You could go with Carmelo Anthony. You could go. The third one's not as cut and dry for me. The top two are obvious. Um, mm-hmm. the third one, I who, who's your three? My three are Clyde and Patrick Ewing, uh, one and two. Obviously, I completely agree. And three, I have Willis Reed, just yeah, because the he's the, with, how the, many only, the only Nick to ever win MVP too. How many years did he play with the Knicks, though, Reed? He played ten seasons, I believe. He played okay. his entire career for the Knicks. I yeah, I pro- I'd probably have Reed three. I mean, obviously, he's got the iconic moment yeah. in the finals. I'd probably have Reed three because he won. Um, yeah. Yeah, and but in terms of my three favorite and guys that I got to watch, Ewing, Oakley, I loved Oakley, and I'm gonna go with Sprewell. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Sprewell. Sprewell is great. That's a, that's a really good one. And Oakley was a fan favorite too. Everybody loved Oakley. Yeah, so that that I can totally see that. For me, for my top three favorites, probably I have to have Marbury. Because that was like my idol growing up. I loved Marbury. Um, even though the teams were terrible around him, he was like he was one of my favorite players. Um gotta say Carmelo in there, no specific order either. Probably Carmelo is up there. And it's tough because I there's a lot of good players. I mean, I saw Spreewell at the end of his Knicks career too, and I and I liked Spreewell when I was a little kid. Um you know, Allen Houston to a degree too, but probably, probably Carmelo and I, I don't know, maybe Amari. It's, it's tough because of those 2000s teams. It's difficult, but Marbury and Carmelo are my one and two easily. And then my third, probably Amari because, yeah. you know, I, I mean, hopefully I'm a huge RJ fan and I love Obi top and I'm hoping that those guys maybe surpass them. We'll see. We'll have to find out. But you know, I, I they, they, those are probably the three favorites that I've ever gotten to see. Like you, I'm a big RJ fan. I th- I think I hear Knicks fans all the time complaining about him. I think they got to be patient. I think yeah. this guy's gonna be this guy's gonna be really good. He has a ton of raw talent. He's a tremendous scorer. It comes to ease with him too. It's you know, it's going to take some time to for him to develop. He's only 20 years old. Like you know, and his defense is underrated too. It is. It is. And he's shown so many glimpses of becoming a star player. And, you know, you can't, it's difficult to, you know, throw a guy in the league at 19 years old and to just expect that he's going to break out. Some guys do, but it's, it's, but, but you can't, it's difficult to, you know, expect that somebody's going to do that. And you got to give him a three, four year w- window, especially when it's a one and done kind of player. Especially and, when you're on a team like the Knicks, you know, especially last year when, I mean, they really didn't have anybody else, you know, as a threat. You know, so he's seeing the number one defender. He's seeing double coverage. Let me get this out of here. I don't want my phone to die. But, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine. I don't know if he's going to be a superstar. He could be, though. I'm not ruling that out. 
but I think he's going to be at a bare minimum, a very good player in the NBA. I completely agree. I think that he's going to be tremendous. I think that I think Toppin's going to be a great player too. He gives real um, like prime Amari vibes. I think. Um, Do you worry about Randall and Top and how they could coexist? I I do to a degree. I did not uh, going into the draft and when I wanted Toppin because throughout college I looked at him more of a three than a four. But in the NBA, I've come to realize he's probably more of a four, and it would be difficult because I want Randall to stick around for a long time too. I feel like he could be. He's young, and I feel like he should he should be a key piece of this of the rebuilding that they have going. But it'll be interesting to see if they can. Uh, align those two guys. They do different things. You know, Randall is a point forward, you know, Toppin, freak athlete, drives to the hoop. Randall can shoot better than Toppin can. Um, Toppin's more of a back-to-the-basket scorer. I mean, Randall Randall is too, but Randall can step out and hit threes and hits, you know, can handle the ball and everything. And and Toppin's a high flyer. So yeah, Toppin, Toppin to me is more like a traditional four. Yeah. Uh, and Randall's more the modern-day four. Like that—that's—that's that's kind of how I would equate the two. Like, R- Randall's real. Randall is really good. Like, Randall's really good. Like this year, he's definitely improved. He kind of—he's playing kind of like Boogie Cousins used to play. I'm not gonna say he's on that level when Cousins was at his best, but his game reminds me of that. He's playing really well this year. He is, and when Boogie de- uh, developed a jump shot too, that's like that was a game changer, and that yeah. that sent his scoring through the roof too. And that's what Randall kind of developed this year because Boogie was able to handle the ball. I like that comparison because it's you know it's it's a difficult comparison you know for one season, but it is like if you watch Randall night in and night out, he plays very similar. Yeah, both of those players and they both smart players, ball, but he's a his his style is similar. Yeah, well with the. Speaking of that, DeMarcus Cousins hitting the free agent market. The Rockets are going to get rid of him. Is that a guy that the Knicks should look in to bring in while while Mitchell Robinson's hurt? It's funny you bring that up. I actually saw that. Um, really? That the Knicks were one of the five most likely destinations. They listed the Lakers. They listed the Nets. Um, I can't remember the other teams, but the Knicks were one of the five most likely. I forgot who said it, but somebody yeah. said it. Um I would say probably not because well it depends. It depends on when they feel like Mitch will be back. Yeah, you know if they feel like he's going to be back pretty soon after the All Star break, I probably wouldn't do it. But if they feel like he might be out another month after that, maybe you do bring him in. Um, he's not near the player he once was, but could at least provide some valuable minutes off the bench. I completely agree. He's averaging like nine seven this year for Houston. He'd been coming off the bench primarily, and obviously those teams are going. The top teams are going to be in on him. You know, the Lakers could use him. The Brooklyn Nets could use him big time. They Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets need a big man badly. They need either him or Drummond. That's why I'm praying that Drummond ends up getting traded and not not just released because the Nets will be all over him, and that will yeah. be even more of a cheat code than than they've put together this season. But it's, I, it, I think that, I think Cousins is an interesting one. It's probably unlikely, but like, uh, especially with Mitch, if Mitch was going to be out for like several months, then I could see it being more likely. But like, but you know, only the few weeks that he's supposed to be out, I don't think they're going to go big. Nerlens has been doing great holding down the fort. Um, he's a great defensive big man. And Taj Gibson is just a smart player too, especially under Thibodeau's system. So I, I agree. Like not even touching is probably the best move. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I kind of go status quo. Maybe like your dad said, make a small move for some something like JJ Redick. Um, 
you know, another guy people have brought up is Oladipo because he's a free agent next year. Maybe he won't cost you that much. If you get him on a really cheap deal, maybe you look into something like that. But I, I don't see them bringing in a high-profile guy. And I, I don't think Cousins I – I, I don't want Toppin's minutes to get reduced. You know, when Mitch comes back, if you got Boogie Cousins on the team, how is Toppin getting out on the floor, you know? Yeah. So I, I think about that as well. No, exactly. And it like just creates a log jam for all the young guys. So, you know, depending on how many guys they bring in, they're definitely going to look to see what it's to see for some more veterans to bring in. I definitely think, you know, Austin Rivers could be on his way out too. He has a lot of trade value. You're paying him nothing. A lot of contenders could use him. So they, they might throw him in with like a Knox and a Frank and stuff like that and try to upgrade their bench a little bit more. Um, but it's, but I agree. I think that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because they they have some tricks up their sleeves 100% because Thibodeau is all in. He wants to make a hard push this season, even if it's just for a seven or eight seed, like just to just to make make a nice statement in the league that the Knicks are back. Yeah, well, you, you also it's also for potential free agents, you know, that may want to come here. You want to start to show that this is not a joke of a team anymore. You're starting to make strides. The team's starting to learn how to win. Um, and I think that has as much to do with it as anything else. You can't keep losing every year, you know, if you want to start to attract people to come here. So I think Thibodeau is trying to change the culture of this team. And I do think they're going to be aggressive at the deadline. And I think if there's a deal that makes sense, they're going to do it. I mean, when there's smoke, there's fire. And we've been hearing time and time again now that the Knicks are looking to not sell, but add to this basketball team. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, and they're going to, do whatever they can to win games too. You know, Derrick Rose pretty coming back. He's going to play, you know, they're, they're going, they're going to go hard. And I, and I, I like it, you know, it's Thibodeau's way and he's got to, especially in his first season, he has to make some type of a statement too, that he's going to be here for the long, for the long term. And this is like, this is his team now, you know, this is going to be the way that they play. They're a hard team. They play a ton of defense, and he's making that known with the kind of guys that they that they develop. I can see them going after some more defensive players too, some more defensive minded players. You know, I don't really know who's. It's tough to tell who's going to be available at the trade deadline. You know, they were talking about Blake Griffin too. Uh, I think that that's extremely unlikely, especially with Randall. Um, yeah, and he's I don't getting see the fit there. Yeah, there's no fit at all. I, I don't think they. I saw like I saw Blake Griffin because he is on the market. Uh, Oladipo, I've seen too, and Oladipo would be nice, but that might be a better uh, free agent target, I right. think, than than a trade target because he'll be a free agent this off season. And that's exactly it. Like you, you sneak into the playoffs this year, and you can definitely start attracting some of these free agents. And there's, and it's, you got to start with the decent free agents and then you can move your way up. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to attract like the top guys. Giannis won't be a free agent anymore since he signed his long-term extension with Milwaukee. But the people who were talking about, Oh, we're going to go all in on, on Giannis. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard. Like they, they, the guys, guys aren't going to come, come, come here just yet. And also Kawhi, I don't see leaving the Clippers because he really wants to stay in Los Angeles too. Yeah, so. and and they got a real opportunity to win still over there. So, I, I I don't see it either. I and you look at the free agency market, like you said, there's not a lot of prominent names outside of him. I mean, you know, some secondary star Drew Holiday. Um, yeah. there, there's nobody that really jumps off the page. Um, so I think the Knicks got to remain patient. Um, maybe just maybe try to sign a couple of difference makers on shorter deals, like they did with Julius Randle uh, this offseason on two or three year contracts, but. Mm-hmm don't splurge and overpay for one of these guys either. I definitely agree. And I think it's going to be fun to watch the rest of the way this season and, you know, see how, 
see how the Knicks do. I think that they can, they're a legitimate team to make the playoff push and they've been playing some good basketball. They're fun to watch. Regardless, they're fun to watch night in and night out. And they're not frustrating. Like they have been in years past where you tune out after the 30 game point of the season. They're, they're still fun to watch, even if they're losing games too. You know, there's still a game under 500, but you want to watch them every single night. There's, they got a good young team. They're fiery. They're energetic, you know, they're, and fans are going to be allowed back starting tomorrow against Golden State, too, which I can't wait because I, I've i been hyped to see the kind of reaction that quickly is going to get. Like, these, they, they, they got some New York Knicks basketball players on this team, like New York Knicks caliber basketball players. That's what I'm most excited for. You and me both, man. Um, I can't wait to see how they do the rest of the year, especially with the playing game this year. I think we're going to at least be in a playing series. Definitely. Um, I don't think we'll fall any lower than the 10, which at that point you get a playing series. And as a Knicks fan, if you would have, you told me that going into the year, I would have been ecstatic. Um, you know, I, I still thought that we we're going to be a bottom seven, eight team in the league. Um, and I don't feel that anymore. Uh, and I think a lot of it, you got to credit Tom Thibodeau. Um, you know, Fisdale, you know, he talked a big game, but he didn't back it up. Uh, Thibodeau's come yeah. in here. He set a culture and this team plays hard for him night in and night out, which I think is the most important thing about a head coach. I absolutely agree, and especially with the play-ins, like you said, there, there's no doubt that they're going to be in the mix this year. They're going to be at least a play-in team. Um, they're they're going to be they're, they're going to be some type of playoff team. And Thibodeau completely is changing the culture, and it's just you know it's good to see. And so I I just hope that it that it keeps going going forward from here. That's all you could ask for as a Knicks fan. I think we're a couple of years away to where we really want to be, but we're definitely trending down the right path. Now, just don't screw it up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. I want to thank everyone who tuned into the review and preview network to watch another episode of three and D and to all those listening via podcast, YouTube, etc. I'd also like to thank our special guest, the entertainer for hopping on and talking about some New York Knickerbockers basketball. I appreciate you for having me on. Thank you so much, man. And let me know when you want to do it again. Definitely. Sounds good. Have a good night, everybody.